This morning, we're, we're picking up and we're going to continue our series that we started several weeks ago entitled Made for Mission. And of course, we began this series a couple weeks ago, getting ready for our missions conference. And in week one, we, we looked at the biblical truth and we said that every one of us are called to be on mission for God. If you are a believer this morning, if you're saved this morning, if the Holy Spirit dwells inside you this morning, then the moment you got saved, God called you to live your life on mission for him. It doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've come from, doesn't matter your training or, or your, your background. Every one of us, God has a plan to use our life to fulfill his mission of getting the gospel to the world. Then on a second week, we looked at what our mission was and we saw the distractions that we get through, the different things that come into our life that the devil uses to distract us from living on God's mission. And sometimes the missions that the, the devil distracts us with are not bad missions. He gives us the mission of, of taking care of our family. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. You know, the Bible says if you're, you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. You know, we quote that all the time. And so taking care of your family is a good thing. It's vital. But it's the primary mission of your life should be the mission of getting the gospel to the world. And Jesus' mission should be our first priority. And once we get that put in its proper place, everything else falls into where it should be in our lives. But still, it's, it's easy to get off focus and lose our, our focus of living on mission for God. And then last week, we answered the question, well, if we're all called to be on mission and we see what our mission is, who is my mission? The simple answer is everybody. Everybody you come in contact with in your life, everybody you know, everybody you meet at the grocery store, everybody all the way across the world. Every soul is our mission. Now, of course, we can't reach everybody all at once personally, and that's why we have world missions. That's why we give so other people can go to places like Morocco and Indonesia and India and, 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 and Antarctica. And <laughs> please don't go to Antarctica, anybody. And, uh, and, and Australia. I was like, there's something a, a down there somewhere. Australia. But we, send, we give money to send these people so that they can go give the mission of God and give the gospel to other people that we don't have a, a chance to reach. But that doesn't get us off the hook of sharing our mission with people in our life. See, God put you here where you are to reach the people in your life, just like he sent them where they're going to reach people in their lives. And so everyone we come in contact with is our mission, our, our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, everybody that we come in contact with and everybody that we have the opportunity to send others to go reach is our mission. Well, that brings us to our, our question this morning. We know we're all called to be on mission. We know what our mission is, who our mission is. Well, that brings us to the question, what's my message? While I'm on mission for God and I fulfill my mission and I'm called to go reach somebody and I'm led to go reach somebody and I go to witness to somebody, what do I say? What am I supposed to tell them to have them understand the gospel? And for the believer, this is the very heart of following Jesus, but for the majority of us, it doesn't come natural. You have to be intentional about it. It's something you must be intentional about or you will miss what you're made of. A lot of times, we have a hard time communicating. Can I get... There we go. We have a hard time communicating 
what it is we want to say to people. Several years ago, we were on a mission trip to Costa Rica, and I, I took, in high school, I took four years of Spanish, and I worked in Chicago on the docks, and I worked with a lot of Spanish-speaking people, so I am fluent in Spanish, I think, but I'm really not. And so we go to Costa Rica, and we're, 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 we're talking to kids in orphanages, and we're talking to kids in, in schools. And so we had a translator there, and so I would do the talk, and the translator would translate what I was saying. But I thought I knew enough Spanish to get by. And so they would ask me to introduce April, and I would introduce April. I'd say, this is my caliente mamacita. I don't think I'm saying this is my beautiful wife. I was calling her a very derogatory name that I didn't know. And I'd say it, and all the kids would be oh, and snicker and laugh. And I'm like, well, okay. They get what I'm saying. And finally I asked the interpreter, the interpreter, I was like, what am I, what am, what am I saying? She's like, well, you're, you're kind of calling your wife a prostitute. <laughs> like, okay. Stop doing that. So I stopped doing that after a while. But oftentimes we have trouble communicating. And sharing Jesus sometimes can, can be like speaking a foreign language. You know, you have people in your, your neighborhood you can talk to, and you can talk about sports. You can talk about the weather. You can complain about your neighbor's crabgrass coming into your yard. And, man, these, these benign, worthless subjects, we are great about talking about. But the minute that Jesus comes up, we just don't know what we're going to say. We stumble over, upon our words. We, 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 we're afraid that we're going to say something wrong. We're going to confuse someone we're going to mess it up. And so it's something we struggle with. But if that's something you struggle with, there's good news. The passage we're going to look at this morning should encourage you. We're going to look at the same story from two different perspectives. One is in Mark 5, the other is in Luke chapter number 8. So first of all, look at Mark chapter 5, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, and they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, there's a couple things significant in those first two verses. First of all, it's significant that Jesus and his disciples went across the Sea of Galilee to the country of the Gadarenes. This is where the non-Jews lived. During the Old Testament, when God had commanded the Israelites to clear out the land, this was the area where they didn't fulfill, they didn't completely obey. They didn't get rid of all the enemies. And so there were still a lot of non-Jews living in this area. Now, it was a Jewish area, but there were a lot of non-Jews living there. There was a lot of mixed race people living there that people, uh, and so there was a lot of people in there that hated the Jews. And so it was a dangerous place for you to travel because you could get off in a road by yourself and there's no one around. And some of these enemies of the Jews would attack you and, and kill you or mug you. And so it was a very dangerous dangerous place to go. Most Jews on the other sea of the Galilee didn't go there. But here come Jesus and his apostles. And we'll see, or we'll see a little bit later, but if you study the verse, the chapter before here, they're coming across the Sea of Galilee and a huge storm comes up. This is a story where the storm comes up and the disciples are sure they're going to die and Jesus is asleep in the ship and they wake him up like, why aren't you cared we're going to die? And he just says, shut up, ocean, and it's calm. And they're like, whoa. And then they get across the Sea of Galilee they land on the shore of the Gadarenes, and I'm sure the apostles are already, they're already nervous. We're in a place we really don't want to be. 
We're in a, in a dangerous place. We're in a place that makes us uncomfortable. We almost died last night coming across. And who's the first person they meet? A crazy guy. Comes running out of the tombs. He's naked. He's breaking chains. He's screaming all the time. Here comes this crazy naked dude. If I'm the apostles, I'm like, all right, Jesus, this was real, but we're heading back. Peace out. But they come here and they meet this, this very strange man. And so I'm sure the disciples thought that this place was a lot worse than they had anticipated it would be. But that's not how Jesus reacted. Look at verse number three. <clears throat> Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in, him, in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Now this, if you've ever had a hard person to witness to, this is a hard person to witness to. I mean, I've had some people that I've witnessed to from time to time that they were difficult. Some of them were antagonistic. They liked to pick fights. And when I was younger, I would like to fight with them. Now I'm just like, all right, later. I'm not, I'm not wasting my time on this. And I, a lot of times I really would enjoy it when the Jehovah's Witnesses would come to my house. And they're like, we'd like to talk to you about God. I'm like, hey, funny, I'd like to talk to you about God. And we'd, we'd talk for a while. They'd, eventually they'd get to the point that I just want to argue with them and they'd leave. Now they come and they're like, hey, we'd like to talk to you about God. I'm like, hey. I was raised Jehovah's Witness, and now I'm a Baptist preacher, and they're usually like, okay, peace, see you, bye. They don't want to talk to me then. But this is a hard case. Here's a guy, he's coming up, he's, he's, he's filled with demons, but to most people on the outside, it doesn't look like he's demon-possessed, he just looks like he's, he's, he's insane. They're chaining him up, and he's breaking his chains. That's pretty hard to do. They keep chaining him, he keeps breaking him, they keep putting the handcuffs, he keeps breaking him. He's screaming day and night, he's running around naked, he's cutting himself. This is a hard case. Most of us would probably be like, you know what, I don't think, I don't feel led of the Lord to witness to this guy. This man is so out of control that his family has just washed their hands of him. It's like we don't want anything to do with him. We can't control him. He's been cast out of town. He's been condemned to live in a graveyard. They've tried to chain him, but he keeps getting free. He's constantly screaming and cutting himself. Everyone else avoids him. But Jesus interacts with him. Just because someone seems hard or unreceptive doesn't mean they always will be. A recent study found that the average person who receives Christ has had already had 17 unique spiritual encounters before. So they've had 17 times where someone has talked to them about the gospel, has shared their faith with them, has invited them to church. 17 instances where someone has presented them with Jesus where they've rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected on the 18th time it clicks and they get it. So when you talk to someone, you don't know where you're at in that line. You could be one or you could be 18. You have no idea. So a lot of times we have people, we just like, oh, they're a hard case, and we wash our hands with them. The Bible says here there's no one who is too hard for God. We don't know when someone's going to be receptive. 
We don't know when someone's going to be open to hear the gospel, so we can't wash our hands of people. You have no idea what the impact your words will have. God is more concerned with our obedience of sharing the gospel and allowing the Holy Spirit to take the, the, our words and have an impact on the person's heart. So this demon-possessed man, he had a past, but that didn't bother Jesus. He immediately interacts with this man, and it gets pretty intense pretty fast. You never know when God will send an opportunity your way to share your faith, so you always need to be ready. Flip over to Luke chapter 8, and we'll see what happens next in this story. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse number 28. Luke 8, verse 28, But when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him and was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he'd break the bands with, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion because many devils were entered into him. So this man's question was, was pretty unique. What do you want with me, Jesus? What, what, are you doing? what do you want me to do? What are, you, what are you trying to do in my life, God? And step into this guy's life for a moment. He's, he's fully expecting Jesus to torment him. He's fully expecting Jesus to, to punish him because all he's known his entire life is people tormenting him, people chaining him up, People throwing him in a graveyard. People rejecting him. It's all he's ever known. His experiences with every other person has been bad. The Bible says he was often in chains. He didn't put himself in chains. Other people did. People of the community, his family, chained him up and threw him away in a graveyard. How much more clear can you get to tell someone, I, I wish you were dead and I want you so far out of my life, I'm going to chain you up and put you in a graveyard because that's all, that's, I don't care about you. And that's just man. So when Jesus comes, he's like, well, here comes someone else to torment me, someone else to, to hurt me, someone else to ridicule me. This man had nobody. He's been the object of disgust. He lives in isolation. He lives in fear. He lives in rejection. And he's got several demons inside of him. So he is prepared for the worst. But look how Jesus interacts with this man. This is the message Jesus used. First of all, Jesus says, I want to know you. Look at verse 30. And Jesus asked him, saying, what is thy name? Jesus just wanted to, he could say, what's your name, man? Tell me something about yourself. And this, this man was so overpowered with demons, he didn't even remember his name. He just says, I've got so much problems, my name is Legion. His life seems so hopeless that he's forgotten who he is. And instead, he labels himself ugly, worthless, alone, and evil. Look at verse number 32. <clears throat> and there was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. 
And then the devils went out the devils out then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. So this man feels alone and worthless and he comes to Jesus and says, "Jesus, what are you going to do with me?" And Jesus says, "I just I just want to know you. What's your name?" And then then Jesus helps him. He cast out these demons, and these, these, these demons go into a herd of swine, and they fall down the cliff. And anything apart from Jesus ultimately leads to death because anything apart from Jesus is sin, and sin always leads to death. And this man, after Jesus frees him from these demons, he gets to see right in front of him where the voices inside of him were trying to take him. They were trying to kill him just like they did to the pigs. Satan hates you, and he has a horrible plan for your life. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So the man asked Jesus, What do you want with me? And Jesus says, I want to know you. What's your name? But there's more in his message. Not only does he say, I want to know you. Secondly, he says, I want to help. Look at verse 31. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. So that everyone else wants to bind this man up. Everyone else wants to hurt this guy, wants to cast him away, get rid of him. But Jesus came to free him. He cared more about this man than he did the trouble that would be caused by sending the demons into a herd of pigs. Because you don't think for a minute Jesus said, yeah, y'all can go into the herd of pigs. And they jump off the cliff into the water. And he goes, oh, I didn't see that coming. He saw everything coming. He knew what was going to happen. And that herd of pigs, they belonged to somebody. They were someone's livelihood. They were someone's breakfast, praise the Lord. But Jesus said, I care more about healing this man and freeing this man than the mess that it's going to cause. And it was a mess. These, 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 someone's livelihood is now at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And to Jesus, this man's life was a bigger deal. Jesus showed that he cares about people, even if it's messy and even if it's unpopular. Look at verse number 34 in Luke chapter 8. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told the city and the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Now, look, if I'm just reading this, I'm like, man, this is a miracle here. Of course, these people who are watching the sheep, the, the pigs, of course, they go to their boss. Hey, your pigs jumped off the cliff, but it wasn't our fault. It was Jesus' fault, not me. Sorry. And so the whole town comes to see what happens. And they come up and they see this man who he's been in the graveyard for years, cutting himself, screaming, being chained up and breaking the chains. They can't control him. They can't help him. They just want to be done with this guy. And they come and they see this once naked man, naked crazy man. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. Now, we think, man, that would be a miracle. They would think, praise God, Jesus finally helped him. But that's not what they did. Keep looking, verse number 35. <clears throat> Clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means that was possessed of the devil was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. Can you imagine? Jesus just performed 
an incredible miracle in their town. And they say, we don't want that kind of stuff here. You need to leave. Why? Because they hated this guy. They see the guy who they knew was crazy and sitting down, he's acting completely clothed and most of us would have avoided this guy, but Jesus saw his need and helped him. The man, he was naked, now he's got clothes. Where do you think he got the clothes? Probably from Jesus and his disciples. Probably like, well, I got an extra pair of sandals, I got an extra robe, and they, they got everything together to, to clothe this man. Jesus cared about this reputation and how people saw him. This man's question was, what do you want with me? And Jesus' message is, I want to know your name. I want to help you. And thirdly, his message was, I want a relationship with you. Look at verse 35 again. At the very end, uh, they found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Can you imagine what Jesus and this now freed man were talking about? I mean, this guy, he's, just, he's been released from this torment he's been dealing with for, for his entire life, and he's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just fellowshipping with him, just having a relationship with him. Look over at, uh, at verse 36. They also which saw, told him which were, by means he was possessed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear, and he went up again into the ship and returned back again. Now the man, look at verse 38. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. So the, the, the crazy, this, the, of course, the people chasing Jesus away, it, to me it's just it's insane on so many levels. The, the people were, were not ready for the power of God to be manifested in their lives. Jesus, he didn't try to reason with them. He didn't try to argue with them. He didn't perform another miracle to kind of change their minds. He just left. Why, why would he do that? Here's the truth. Jesus came all the way over the Sea of Galilee to the land of the Gadarenes through a storm for one man. One man who everyone else had rejected, who everyone else had cast away, who everyone else had written off, one man was worth Jesus going out of his way to reach. God still wants us to reach that one man, and he wants to use us to do it. He wants to use us to reach that one person that, that we think, oh, there's no point. We don't know if there's no point. But this one guy was important to Jesus. On the way across, they have a terrible storm. Jesus believed it was this one demon-possessed guy was worth it. And here, here's another biblical truth. You're worth it. Jesus would have crossed the sea for you because Jesus came from heaven, died on a cross, and rose again for you because you are worth it. The person you've been working up the nerve to start up a spiritual conversation with they are worth it. And then, of course, the, the people try to send Jesus away, and this, this demon-possessed guy, he says, hey, Jesus, I, I want to be with you. I want to stay with you. I want to learn with you. And at first, Jesus' reaction seems pretty cold. He goes, no, 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 you can't come. What is this? He goes, you can't come with us. You've got to stay here and tell people here. What does this guy have in this area? He's got nothing. He's got a bad reputation. He walks into town, and everyone knows his past. I mean, Think a couple years down the road, he, he starts dating a girl, and he goes to meet her father, and her father goes, 
aren't you the guy that used to run around naked in the tombs cutting yourself? Yeah, yeah, stay away from my daughter. You, we don't want your type in our house. So this guy has a bad reputation. He wants to go with Jesus, and it seems that Jesus rejects him. But that's not what's happening. Jesus didn't reject him. Jesus sent him out on mission. This guy's been saved, what, five and a half minutes? Does he need any more training? No, because look what Jesus said his message is. Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. Jesus said, I've got a mission for you. And your mission is to go and reach those who haven't heard. And here's your message. All you have to tell them is how good God's been to you. All you got to tell them is how God has changed your life. Return home and tell how much God's done for you. Tell your parents, tell your siblings, tell your neighbors what has happened to you. Now, Jesus just said go home, but this guy, he went well above and beyond what Jesus had asked him. He went to the entire region. He went all over the place and told about how good God had been to him, what God had done in his life. So what's my message? It's very simple. All you have to do is share how good God's been to you. Share how when you met Jesus face to face, he changed your life. Because look, here's the simple truth. If you meet Jesus face to face, he's going to change your life. And if your life's not changed, you didn't meet him. Simple as that. If you're like, well, my life's still the same since I got saved, maybe you should check something. Because you can't meet Jesus face to face and not have your life turned upside down and not be changed completely. And so what's my message? Hey, let me just tell you what God did for me. Let me just tell you how God helped me, how God showed me grace and showed me mercy. Your message is to share how Jesus has personally impacted your life, what God has done for you. As you look at the life of Paul, that's all he ever did. Wherever he went anywhere, all he did was say, hey, one day I was walking down the road to Damascus, riding the donkey, all of a sudden the light came, knocked me on my horse, and Jesus came and talked to me personally, and he changed me from Saul the persecutor to Paul the apostle. All he did was tell about how God had changed his life. Flip over back to Mark chapter number 7, verse number 31. And again... Departing from this coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Now look, the coast of Decapolis, it is in the, the land of the Gadarenes because there was 10 cities there that made up this area. So Jesus goes back to the land of the Gadarenes where this man was. He goes back to this region. It's been a while. He's already gone. He's witnessed this man. He's, he's got this man's demons cast out. He saved this guy. He said, hey, go back, tell your family. Then Jesus left, and then months later, he comes back to that exact same area where, just remember, a couple of months before, they chased him away. They said, we don't want you here. Get out. He comes back, and in the very next chapter, in Mark chapter 8, we read about the feeding of the 4,000. One of the greatest 
miracles in the New Testament, not the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, one of the greatest miracles of the fourth of the, the, in the New Testament, the feeding of the 4,000 happened in a land where just months before, the people in the city, the people in the region said, we don't want you here. Now they're coming from far and wide to sit at the feet of Jesus and wait until they're hungry when they got to be fed because they're eager to hear about Jesus. What happened? One guy got reached one guy got his life changed. One guy got on mission and wouldn't shut up about his message everywhere he went. He shared the message of what God had done in his life to everybody he came in contact with. Jesus reaches one man. He sends him out on mission. He comes back later, and over 4,000 people come there. A lot of people believe it was probably 12,000, 15,000 people because they just counted the men. Thousands from this area that had rejected him before come to hear him. Why? Because one man had a mission and one man had a message. The last time Jesus was there, they didn't want him. And now thousands come to meet him because this formerly demon-possessed man shared his message with everyone he could. He shared Jesus with everyone. He shared Jesus with the people that chained him up. He shared Jesus with the people that mocked him and ridiculed him and hurt him and rejected him. He shared Jesus with everyone. The message was just too good. His past relationships didn't seem to matter anymore. I imagine as Jesus is sitting on the hill and he's teaching this large crowd, he looks out and he catches that guy's eye. And they kind of smile at each other because they know what's going on. And then after everyone eats and they depart, maybe that guy stayed after later. And he comes up to Jesus, and Jesus gives him a hug and says, good job, man. You shared your message. Look what you did because you shared your message. You have no idea the impact God will make through you. Jesus took a crazy, rejected guy and used him to start one of the greatest revivals in the New Testament. We all have the excuses. I can't do this. I'm shy. I don't talk with people good about God. It's just not my thing. Well, let me ask you a question. Are any of you known for running around your local cemetery naked, cutting yourself and being chained up? No? Then you're better off than this guy was. If this guy can go to the people that hated him and rejected him, and ridiculed him, and hurt him, and share the message in such a powerful way that thousands upon thousands come out to meet Jesus, surely we can talk to our coworker. Surely we can talk to our neighbor and say, hey, let me just, let me invite you to church. Let me tell you what God's been doing in my life. You have a message that only you can share. This crazy man that people kept chained up because he was running down the cemetery naked and screaming, was used incredibly by God. What can God do with us with our message? Like we said for the past several weeks, we are all called to be on mission for God. Our mission is to everyone we have in our life and everyone in the world, and our message is simply what God has done in your life. And here's the great thing. Your message is your message. It's no one else's. You have a personal 
experience that you can share about what God has done for you. Not, well, let me tell you about what God did for my, my preacher. No, 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 it's your message. And God gave you your message for you to use for his honor and for his glory. And every one of us have one. Your message was given to you by God to use on mission with him. Don't be ashamed about what God has done in your life. 